This is maybe one of the heaviest chapters in all the Bible is Revelation 17. Why? Because one, it's really not much fun. And two, it is, has a lot to do with the end times and how God is um, working out those things. And so where we're going today is Satan, the one who causes us fear, is set to be destroyed and we are to have victory in Christ Jesus. And I say we because those who have accepted and surrendered to Jesus Christ brought him into our life and we want to live for him, right? Like Rebecca declared this morning through baptisms. Since we know this, we have the tools to defeat fear, panic, anxiety, and stand faithful in times of trial. That's hard to do. It's hard to be faithful in times of trial and we aren't even in a very persecuted church, I would say, compared to the rest of the world these days. Um, the world has many more places that are much more persecuted than the American church, and we want to make sure that we are um, praying for those that are around the world that are being persecuted for their faith. Because guess what? Where the church is being persecuted right now, it's growing like gangbusters. Uh, North Korea, the church is growing like gangbusters. They don't have a clear count on it, but they know it's growing because of the count of people coming out of that. Uh, in, let's see, Vietnam, the church is growing unlike any other way it has in the past, except for maybe the first century church. It doesn't really have leadership. When they went into communism, all the leaders left. And so we're left with congregants. How do we grow? Like the Bible says, we disciple one another. And they have disciples who disciple others who disciple others, and that's the way they've built their church structure, and that's probably a good case of how it's supposed to happen. And we have places like Iran. Not You didn't run so far away, but um, it was there, it was there. Um, Iran, the church is growing as well because they see the corruption of the... Muslim religion, where they take it to the extreme, and they're like, well, I don't, I don't want that. I don't want that. And so what is there to offer? Well, shortwave radios has come into Iran from Iraq and different other places, and they're accepting the Lord in droves over there. So just because the minority sometimes has control doesn't mean Christ's church is dead. Amen. So this is the time where everything comes to a culmination. We see it at the end of 16. Uh, John is in a vision. He sees the bowls of wrath being poured out onto the nations. I don't believe that there's probably any believers at that point, but if there are somebody that confessed, I think the Lord would still take them at that time. But when he comes back, it's done. Um, there's no more believers coming and going um, but if we see a believer, it is very, very rare at this, at this point in time. Most of them are turning and cursing God, um, which is funny. They're not turning to Satan for salvation. So as they go into this, he's like, John is astonished at some of the things that are happening. And he's like, well, let me show you. Let me give you a glimpse of what it's going to be like. And so one of these angels that's carrying the bulls grabs John. He takes him to a a different point in time. And I don't know how this works. I don't know how visions in heavens work. I'm sorry. 
Um, but I think chapters 17 through 19 are a different, it's not sequential. It doesn't go in sequentially. I think it pulls out and it looks at it in a, in a way that is um, different in time. And I haven't figured it all the way out. Maybe by the time I get to the end of seven or 19, studying hard on it, I will understand, but I don't understand right now. Okay, so we're going to pick it up in verses 1 and 2 of Revelation chapter 17 in the New Living Translation. It says, One of the seven angels who had poured out the seven bowls came over and spoke to me. Come with me, he said, and I will show you the judgment that is going to come on the great prostitute who rules over many waters. The kings of this world have committed adultery with her, and the people who belong to this world have been made drunk by the wine of her immorality. Okay, so we have some interesting symbolism that happens in chapter 17. It starts off with the great prostitute. And when we say the great prostitute, we're not talking about one person. We're not talking about one entity, in my opinion. We're talking about a false religion. Okay, we're talking about a false religion, a false belief of what it, um, well, we'll get into that. Okay, so verse 1, we have the angel with the, the bowls of God's wrath. And then he talks about this woman who is a prostitute. Okay, this would be an idolatrous religion. Basically, almost anything that is not Christianity could fall into this, and I'll explain why I think that is. But you also get a decent picture in Galatians chapter 5, Verses uh, 19 through 21, he gives a good grocery list of what we have there. Um, some of those are sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, uh, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, and wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living this sort of lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so when our attitudes walk toward that, we are not walking in the Spirit. Because right after this, he tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I always forget faithfulness. He likes to sneak out of there. Against such things, there is no law, right? There's love. That, that is a culmination of love. When you put all those together, it's love. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you want to know how to love somebody? You look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You find out how to love somebody. Uh, and then it also says in 1 Corinthians um, 6, 9, and 10, it says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? And look at this. Notice the extreme that he goes from one spectrum to the other where we would list sins. He says, you fool yourselves for those who indulge in sexual sin or those who worship idols or commit adultery, or male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or are greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. We look at some of these and we're like, yeah, these are obvious sins, but then we look at other, well, it's, so, it's okay to cheat. It's okay to cut some corners. No, you're cutting your integrity when every time you're doing that. So if you're in construction, you don't go to the middle of the board and make a cut right down the center. It doesn't, it's not going to support anything there. And that's what he's saying you're doing. If you, you decide to do even 
some of these, all of these are going to corrupt us. You see, it will be like this. It puts man in the center of the religion. I really believe this idolatrous woman will be something to the effect of, ultimately it's secularism, but it's do as thou wilt. That's um, straight out of the book of Satan. Do what you want. You do you, and I'll do me. Okay, you ever heard that before? Uh, that's Satanism right there. So you do you, I'll do me. Oh, that's also a postmodern way of thinking. Well, what if, my, what if me doing me is clubbing you over the head? That doesn't work for you, does it? So there has to be something more. There has to be a truth that binds us and brings, gives us a foundation. Okay? Whereas God, he has called us out of this lifestyle. He's listed all these things. Every time Paul lists a list of sins, he also lists things that we are called into or called to do. And Jesus, he sets our example. The Bible gives us direction, and we can see Christ's example. That's why I will always encourage you to read your Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay? And we must submit and recognize Jesus' authority. And then we will let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn how God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That's Romans 12 too, right? Transform, and the NIV says, by the renewing of your mind. What kind of transformation are we talking about? Let's talk about um, this transformation. It is like a metamorphosis. It is like a caterpillar going to a butterfly. It's changed. You are a new person, a new in this creation, right? And if you keep reading in that 1 Corinthians passage that we had before, chapter 6, you look at verse 11. He said, all these... what." Did you know that Corinthians became a bad word? Oh, you're a Corinthian. You're acting like a Corinthian, right? They were so bad, so sinful, they became a derogatory term, okay? And Paul created a church in Corinth. If it can happen in Corinth, it can happen in Bellevue, right? If God can change a Corinthian, he can change me. If there's hope for a Corinthian, there's hope for me. And he says it here. It says, some of you were like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It is simple as that. I can't do it by myself. I need you, Lord. I am changing my lifestyle I'm changing who I'm going to be to reflect you, and I'm not going to glorify myself anymore. Well, how do you do that, Pastor? Well, you're going to see in your bulletin in 2, Corinthians, or 2 Timothy 2.22, and this is from the NIV because it's how I have it memorized so I can quote it. It says, it gives you the tools. It gives you three posts to fence impurity, Okay. It says, flee the evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. 
Okay, sir, so first we have flee. So you have three blanks in your bulletin right next to 2 Timothy 2.22. The first one is flee. That's your first post. You can even make it into a triangle if you wanted to. Uh, that make it even better. Okay, so your first one is flee. Flee the evil desires of your youth. What are they? We listed those earlier. We see those in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We see those in um, Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21, right? So flee those. These are the things that creep up that we think are going to fulfill us, but they don't. They're contrary to God's spirit. The second is uh, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Well, what are those characteristics of? They're not of me, right? They're God's, characteristics of God. So we want to pursue God's character, okay? That's big. Anytime you see, especially in Revelation, where it says, then they take their name. We'll see this in, in, uh, in 17, Revelation chapter 17. We'll see it, it talk about their name. It's talking about their character. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace are characteristics of God. The fruit of the Spirit are characteristics of God. We're supposed to, if we take out sexual immorality, we need to put in love for our neighbor. And they're different. Two different kinds of things, right? So we need to flee. The second one is follow. That's the characteristics of God. So flee, follow, and the last one, along with those who call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. We got to find some friends. Flee, follow, friends. If you drew your triangle in the center there, you can put purity. Purity lives there. If one of those fence posts falls down, you are in trouble of losing your purity. Right? It's like a high school dating relationship. What do they do when you're in high school? They isolate. They start going off by themselves. And they think, oh, this is fun. We get to be together. I've never done a relationship, so I'm going to invest in this relationship. And what did they just leave off? They just destroyed their friends. Now they're stuck with that person because that's all they do and hang out with. What's going to happen there? Right? I always say to youth, if you give your heart, your body's going to follow next, right? So guard your heart. Guard your heart. That's with anything. Right? You start walking away from the church, you start walking away from this, then you lose your second fence post, and then pretty soon you're right in the, you're not fleeing at all. Right? Out of all the sins in the world, we're supposed to stand up to lies. We're supposed to stand up to deception. We're supposed to stand up to false teachers. We're supposed to stand up to all these things except for sexual sin. We're supposed to run like Joseph did. Right? Joseph ran and he did right. We are supposed to run away from it. If you need more convincing of that, look at Proverbs chapter 5, 6, and 7. It lays it out. Um, it shows the young man, he walks, he lets, he walks right into the, to the prostitute's house. And does he walk out? No. He says it's like a lamb going to the slaughter. You know? We know what that's going on in there. So God can deliver us from that if we walk away from it, if we get away from it, if we flee from it. 
Remember, Satan's the one who causes fear is set to be destroyed and we are to have victory in Christ Jesus. Since we have this, we have the tools to defeat fear, panic, anxiety, and stand faithful in times of trouble. Let's continue on. Revelation chapter 17, verses 3 through 6. So the angel took me in the spirit into the wilderness. Is this the first time we read about the wilderness? It is not. We see this in the Old Testament with the the people, God's people, sending into the wilderness. We see this with Jesus when he goes into the wilderness. And so there's a little bit of purity in this, um, but that's about it. That's that's where we stop. Um, So there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that had seven heads and ten horns and blasphemies against God were written all over it. The woman wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls. In her hand, she held a gold goblet full of obscenities and purities of her immorality. A miraculous name was written on her forehead. Babylon the Great, the mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. I could see that she was drunk, drunk on the blood of God's holy people who were witnesses for Jesus. I stared at her in complete amazement. Why? Because God... It's like the false church, right? It's the false church he sees. This is the... Satan has promised them something. And we're going to see later on that he doesn't deliver on that promise. So he gives them this false hope that you can do what you want. But that's not what's going to go. So the scarlet beast is an empire. Okay? Verse 3, the angel leads John through the wilderness. This is a, shows a dependence on God. The wilderness, we see in the, the First Testament, a.k.a. the Old Testament, in the children of Israel, and then we see Jesus 40 days in the desert in the Second Testament, also known as the New Testament, uh, teaching us to depend on God. The angel clarifies things here, and God is showing John the final days. John is able to see these things because he was faithful in the little things. He was faithful in little, so God trusted him with little. Then he became faithful with much, God trusted him with much. It's one of the parables that Jesus is t- teaches. Now we have a woman, an idolatrous religion, and the scarlet beast. And I believe this is a government clothed in sin. What kind of sin do we see this government clothed in? We see it in the persecution of the church and of Judaism. And I think we see it also in its character. Its character is kind of do as you want to do. It is not a godly character, and it is trouble. Okay, so it's written a blasphemous name, and we see a name is synonymous with the character of their nature, and their nature is that they are against God. They are against God. And in contrast, in in Revelation chapter 20, we see a kingdom of God, and God's character is, is written down and they follow it for a thousand years. Well, they try to anyway. Some of them do, some of them don't. But it's set up with his people and it's established under God's law. You can see that in chapter 20. It's going to happen. We are presented with a choice. 
We can have order with God. We can have structure with God. Or we can have disorder and chaos under Satan. And it can be fine for a time. But the farther we go down that rabbit hole, the more chaos, more chaotic it's going to be. And God is calling us out of that lifestyle. Or to put it this way, God, who cares for his bride, who sets the example for his bride, who died for his bride, or Satan, who we'll see in the verses below, destroys his bride. He promises her greatness, and then he says, no, I'm your only greatness that you ever need. If you don't take me, I will strip you, beat you, and uh, leave you for dead, basically. A lot of... A lot of sets of threes in here in this passage of Scripture. We see a, a scriptural opposition to God. Babylon, in this case, is almost celebrating the fact that they will be cast out and separated from God's people. If you look up Luke chapter 10, verse 18, it talks about Satan falling from heaven. Satanists say that's a great verse because he was the first rebel. Did you know that? Do you remember those Nike shoes that were, that were customized on the, on the inner side of the, right inside the shoe right here? They had Luke 10, 18 because he was the first, first rebel, right? They're going to celebrate that. They're going to think it's great that Satan rebelled against God. He's the man and you're, you're not going to be oppressed by the man anymore. Well, you're going to find out that you're going to be oppressed by Satan and that is trouble. John can't believe it that they're headed to destruction. They don't even see the beast for the one who is going to destroy them. He's astonished at the end. And he's astonished because he sees what's going to happen. He sees, you can't trust this guy. Don't you see what's going to happen? Don't you see where you're headed? It's kind of like in Toy Story 4 when they're, they're going down. Is it 4 or 3 when they're on the conveyor belt to the furnace? Okay, it's three, sorry. Yes. Um, so they're going on this conveyor belt to, to the furnace, right? And they're like, oh, we're saved. Oh, great. There's a, wait a minute. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. We're good. And all looks good. But then they realize the light kind of is glowing orange. And they're in trouble again. And then they, right at the last minute, they think they're going to... Um, go into the fire, and they're saved miraculously. I won't run the, ruin the end of the movie for you, but uh, what? Um, you'll have to see how that happens. But that's, that's life, right? This could be the same for these people. John is astonished. Get out! Get out! You're about ready. You're not going to the light. You're going to the furnace. Get out! Let's continue on. Verses 8 and 9. The angel asks him, why are you so amazed? The angel said. I tell you the mystery of this woman, the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns in which she sits. Now, this is really, really important verses, okay, to understand the whole book of Revelation. Remember when we started Revelation, I said you got to go to the end sometimes to get the beginning? This is one of those verses, okay? The beast you saw was once alive but isn't now, and yet he will soon come up out of the bottomless pit and go to eternal destruction. The people who belong to this world, their names will not be written in the book of life before the world has, was made. It will be amazed, um, excuse me, let me, before the world was made, will be amazed at the reappearance of his beast who had died. 
So we kind of see the structure of Satan's kingdoms, and then I all put in there its destruction. Okay, this is kind of its downfall and things. We have the woman, again, the false religion of self is where it's going right now. Could it be something down the road different? Yes. It kind of depends on a few things. The beast, I think, is a government. And we have seven heads with ten horns. And we have the description of the beast in scarlet clothing. Scarlet because um, I believe it's the blood of God's people, the church, the persecuted church. And he's celebrating that, which is like, dude, that's not cool. (laughs) But that's what he's all about, right? And we have ten horns. uh, Excuse me. Then he's drunk on the blood of God's holy people, not necessarily the beast, but the the woman is at this point. They all agree to the death of the Christian and the Jewish people. The woman, the false church, drank out of a goblet full of obscenities and impurities of her immorality. That's showing her character, and everybody thinks it's good. Everybody thinks, oh yeah, that's the way we live. That's, That's how it goes. And they believe the lies the beast has told her. You can do what you want. You can be your own God. You can believe what you want to believe, and I will believe what I want to believe. The problem with that is it doesn't fly because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except for me. Well, pastor, that seems kind of narrow. Well, actually, that's what Jesus said it is. It's the narrow road. Why does the road that leads to destruction narrow and another um, Toy Story reference in the show in the shadows off to the left um, is the road to that leads to eternal life. We're getting God's kingdom. Matthew seven uh, thirteen and fourteen. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and the gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the highway to life is very narrow, and the road is is difficult and only a few ever find it the highway looks attractive because it's comfortable it seems to be what everybody else is doing and it actually kind of is but we know jesus didn't do what everybody else is doing did he ultimately jesus christ is the true rebel because he's seeking the truth when you seek me, you'll find me. When you seek me with all your heart, you can't go halfway. You can't say, today I'm going to jump into church. I'm going to be how Christ wants me to be. And then tomorrow, I'm going to go and do my own thing, and I'll do it just like everybody else is. It doesn't work that way, and it's, it's tough. It's hard to do that, isn't it? But... God calls us out, and when we, it's hard to do it because we're trying to do it on our own strength. When we depend on Jesus Christ and we work on his strength, said, Lord, I can't get into next week. I don't know how I'm going to do it. He's like, I can work with that. Because what have I done? In a sense, I've surrendered next week to him. In that little bit of confession, I'm saying, Lord, I need your help. He's like, I can work with that. I can do that. This is what we're going to do. And you're going to baby step it into next week. And you're going to baby step down the hall. Just like in What About Bob, right? We're going to baby step to the elevator. We're going to baby step to push the button, right? 
It's one step at a time. We're not all track stars in our faith, are we? We are not. So we use the tools the Lord has given us. Right now, it's a little bit of faith, so we walk in that little bit of faith. We trust that he's going to be there to pick us up. The highway looks attractive, but we don't know. God has called us out. He is, Jesus doesn't do what everybody else is doing. He's called us out to be set, separate. Well, how do we know? What's it look like? If you look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 44 through 46, it says, Then we, he, they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and thirsty or, or stranger or naked or sick and in prison and, and not help you? And he will answer you, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these brothers and sisters, you're refusing to help me. Then they will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous will go into eternal life. We need to keep our heart soft. We need to be ready to minister to those who need to be ministered. We need to be able to sometimes take time out of our busy schedule to stop and minister. That was my week this week, which is great because anytime the Lord is doing that in multiple lives in this church, God is working in a mighty way. God is changing lives for the better. I'm excited about that. God is doing something in this community already, and we see it happening. And we re- need to remember that Satan, our adversary, the one who's standing and accusing us, he's, he causes all the fear to set, he is set to be destroyed. And we have victory in Jesus Christ. Since we know this, we have the tools to defeat fear panic, anxiety, and stand faithful in times of trouble. In times of trial, we have somebody that's going to continue to be with us. Let's look at verses 9 through 14. This calls for a mind of understanding. The seven heads of the beast represent the seven hills where the woman rules. They also represent the seven kings. Five kings have already fallen, the sixth now reigns, and the seventh is yet to come, but his reign will be brief. The scarlet beast that was, but is no longer, is eighth king. So do you see that again? You see the the past, present, future. This is the second time it's been said. It's going to do it again, or this is the third time. I can't remember if it said it one more time. But it says it three times in this passage like that. Three sets of three. He is like the other... Seven and he too is headed for destruction. The ten horns of the beast are ten kings who have not yet risen to power. They will be appointed to their kingdoms one brief moment to reign with the beast, and they will all agree to give him the power and authority. Together they will go into war against the lamb, but the lamb will not will defeat them. Sorry, the lamb will defeat them because he is the Lord of all lords and the king of all kings. He is called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. Do you notice another set of three? Called, chosen, and faithful. So it's combating the the set of threes with a set of three. This is the structure explained, okay? There will be a world religion, the woman who rules. Do as thou wilt tends to be the American cry right now. There could be a different, it could be all kinds of, of things, but secularism is just as bad as any other world religion. I'll do my thing, you do your thing. 
The people who think it is great, they will get drunk on themselves. They'll say, look how good I am. Look how beautiful I am. Look what I can do. The problem with this religion is it never satisfies. It never. It is, it is like grain in your hand that you try to grab a hold of and it just slips through. How can I hang on to this? I need a little bit for me, but it keeps sliding through and I'm left with nothing again. And it's dry and it doesn't satisfy. What can I do? Only God provides this through his son, Jesus Christ. And when he provides that, it is sustaining. It lifts us up. It actually puts us in his hand, right? And we don't have to worry about it draining out on the sides because it's all around us and cumping us. Instead of us grabbing onto something, it is grabbing onto us. It's amazing. So continue on. We see seven heads, seven hills. People want to say this is Rome or the Vatican, but I really don't see that here. We see this language of three in time in this passage. We see then and now and yet to come. We see later on the passage is explained a little bit better. And verse 10 points us to kingdoms through time. This fits with Daniel's prophecy as well. We see the then um, we have five that are fallen. This will explain it down a little bit later. We have Egypt, Assyria, the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, and the Greeks. Then we have the now, the one that is. Well, we know that to be Rome, right? I don't think this is Rome, Vatican, but we see Rome as the government. Okay? And then we have one that is yet to come. The seventh will be, and the eighth will be like the other seven. Okay? So the question here is, and I don't know if I can answer this question, are we living in the end times? Do you believe that we're living in the end times? Then you should be able to recognize the seventh kingdom if we're living in the end times. And many scholars will point to uh, the German, Nazi Germany being the seventh kingdom. I haven't done my research enough, but it fits the bill. How do I know? We have persecution of the church. We have persecution of the Jewish people. And we have a religion that came up that was straight up satanic, that worshiped Satan. So does it fit the bill? Yes. Can I give it my rubber stamp and say, this is the seventh kingdom? I can't because I haven't done enough research on it yet. Okay, But it fits the bill pretty well. And so if it is, we've seen the seventh kingdom and the eighth is rising up. And we should have 10 kings starting to form across the world. I would think within the next 100 years easily, you could, you could fit that, especially in the last decade, how fast it sped up on us. The deterioration of our country, the deterioration of our character. God's name is not on our country's heart anymore. Wouldn't you say, wouldn't you agree with that? We are, we are moving toward more of a satanic type of do as thou wilt, get what you can get before it all runs out kind of government. We're also seeing a hierarchy, which you can also see. You see a, a class of people that say, well, those commoners, 
they don't understand. And so they need to just be dumbed down and we'll give them what they need when they need it. And we're the elitists and we understand it. That's straight up wrong too. That's communism, by the way. That's trouble. Um, We need to watch out for that. Okay? We can... So the beast is vital to our understanding of this. The seventh and eighth beast will be possessed by Satan himself. You can make a great case that Hitler was possessed by Satan himself, but I don't know. All right? I, wasn't, I didn't win there, and you got to do more. The Holocaust was the worst suffering in recent Jewish history, and like the other six kingdoms before it, does it fit the pattern of the Jewish people fighting the Greeks? Does it fit the pattern of Jewish people fighting the Romans and the Assyrians and the Babylonians? Yes, it does. All those were, they all came up with very creative ways to kill Jewish people. Okay? Nazis did too. Okay? So we just got to be, if that's where we're at, we're in the end times, folks. We're at the end of this um, journey. And the eighth is, in Jewish numbering system, eighth is a new beginning. So it's a new beginning. It's going to look good. It's going to look fancy. But guess what? It's going to destroy too. So I'm like, oh, yay. This is it. This is the answer. But it's going to turn on the church. And it's going to turn on God's people. And it's going to be Christians Jewish people, I think there'll be a revival at this point in time. A lot of Jewish people will be Christians at that point in time. And they'll turn on those people. Verse 12, the ten horns of the beast are ten kings who have not yet risen to power. They will be appointed to their kingdoms for one brief moment to reign with the beast. The ten kings will bring the world under one a one world government. And then... The beast will snatch their power from them. He will reach up and say, oh, you got it all organized? Shoop, you're going to give it to me now. And he will take it away. And like the kingdoms before, they'll be all unified under the beast, like the kingdoms before them were, again, against anti-Jewish, anti-Christian, opposed to God's character and his values. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will not be defeated. Did you hear that? The lamb will not be defeated. Why? Because he's the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. His title has been given. It was given clear back in chapter 4 and 5. It will not be taken away from him. He has all the authority. He has all the power. He doesn't need us to fight. He will do the fighting for us. He just asks us to remain faithful. Whoa. Get off my soapbox there. I can keep going. I am going to keep going. Then they will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will not be defeated. The lamb is God with us. He is Emmanuel. What does he promise us when he comes at Christmas time? You will, Emmanuel, God with us. He hasn't left. His spirit's still here with us. And we have three characteristics of those who follow him. I didn't write this as application in your bulletin, but you could write it down if you want. Those who are called, they hear God's voice and they repent of their sins. They surrender to Jesus. 
and they are chosen. God takes them as his people. They are chosen. God chooses them. He calls them. They choose him. God chooses them. So once we choose God, he chooses us, okay? And they are faithful. They remain in relationship with Jesus. If you are trying to change your lifestyle, or if you're trying to change who you once were, one of the best ways to do that is to serve other people. We heard that this week, and we were very proud of that person as they are changing their lifestyle and coming out of something, you serve other people. God has designed the church that way. Satan's defeated. Let's finish off the chapter reading, 15 through 18. Then the angel said to me, the waters where the prostitute is ruling represents the masses of people of every nation and language. The scarlet beast and his ten horns all hate, hate the prostitute, and they will strip her naked. They eat her flesh and burn her remains with fire. Doesn't work out very good for her, does it? For God has put a plan into their minds, a plan that will carry out his purposes. They will agree to give their authority to the scarlet beast so the, the words of God will be fulfilled. And this woman you saw in your vision represents the great city that rules over the kings of the world. We see Satan and his bride, but I also put Christ and his bride for the caption here because, well, what we call for in the call of worship. So God put a plan in their minds. Well, what do you mean? God made them tear down that? What, what are you talking about? God wants his will to be fulfilled. Who is left in the, the world today at this point in time in, in Revelation 17? It is non-believers, okay? And so God directs them in the way that he wants them to go so his plan will be fulfilled. So there will be no religion that can stand up to God, they have to go to one, they go to the beast, their hope is in the beast, what do we have? We have trouble. Why do we have trouble? Because the beast can't stand up to God either, can't stand up to the Lord Jesus Christ, can he? Do you know, it says in uh, Zechariah chapter 3, that Satan is standing at the right side of, of the, the righteous, he's accusing us. He is reminding God of our sins. He's reminding him, says this, 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 and God says enough. And he sends Jesus Christ, and Jesus is there advocating for us. Yes, we recognize his sin, but it's covered in the blood of the lamb. I see it no more. And like he told the prostitute, go and sin no more. It is time for a life change. It's time to clean it up. Christ and his bride, the waters are the people of the world. They are not believers. Okay? That's important to understand. They are not believers. And here we see a switch in the world religion go from do what you will to you must worship the beast or die. The ten kings and the beast will hate the woman, the prostitute. They will strip her, eat her flesh, and burn her. For God's hand of protection will be gone, and the beast will show its true colors under one world government. And here we'll see how Satan treats his bride, painfully destroying her. 
He touts her as this beautiful thing, and, and she could be beautiful. She could be. But he doesn't have anything. He doesn't want anything like that. He doesn't want her, her to worship everything else. Satan will always be about Satan. He will always call for the glory. He's not going to share it with his church. He will deceive his church, and he will drag her down to hell with him because they are made in the image of God. I was not. I hate them. They have a reminder of every single day that they are, could have been like God. They chose not to. I hate them. Could you imagine being in hell with a leader like that? I can't fathom it. I don't choose to do that. So he strips her, eats her flesh, and burns her. But our hope lies in Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. I know that Jesus came to take his bride. It says, when he leaves, when he's getting ready to leave, in John chapter 14, verse 2, it says, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it weren't that way, I wouldn't have told you. Well, what is that? That is a groom talking to his bride that I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. It's a lean-to off dad's house. And then we'll get our own place eventually, okay? So you're, I'm going there to make this right. It's going to be wonderful. We're going to be in holy communion with one another. Stay faithful to me. I know it's going to be a long time coming. I know it's going to be hard. Stay faithful. I will leave my spirit there so you'll remember so that you won't go away. And dare I go with another um, Disney reference again? But it's like Agent Carter waiting for Captain America to come back, right? I knew you guys would like that one, right? He's waiting for his bride. We got to remain faithful, just like Captain Carter did. And he will restore her in a, to his heavenly father, and he'll be proud to introduce you to his dad. Dad, I got somebody I want you to meet. It's my bride. It's before my throne room. It's what you created your throne room to be. That place, we've been preparing it for such a long time. Here, I brought him home. And now we're going to make all heaven and earth new. And we're going to eradicate sin out of the equation so that we can be in harmony with one another. Jesus Christ is about redeeming us to saving us from our sins, saving us from death, saving us from eternal punishment. And when we take his name and put it on our heart, our lifestyle has to reflect the character of God. That shows what's going to happen. Satan, the one who causes us fear, is set to be destroyed. We are to have victory in Jesus Christ. We can have it. Since we know this, we have the tools to defeat fear. We have the tools to defeat panic and anxiety and we can stand faithful in times of trial when everybody else is falling away. We can stand into it and say, this is what I believe and why I believe it. 
And I know you don't believe the same way, but I have a God who came down and told me so in Jesus Christ. He died for me and he died for you and he wants to have a relationship with you. Are you willing to take him in to your life? Are you willing to surrender and say, God, I don't have this figured out. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I submit to your will. We talked about it in youth group the other day. It's like a knight. He can fight for himself. He's an independent knight. And he goes out and he swears felty to a king. Well, how do you do that when you swear felty to somebody? It's I'm going to take my character and make it your character. And your character is going to become my character. And I'm going to submit to you. How does a knight submit? He goes down on one knee, right? And he puts his head down. It's an act of submission. He takes his eyes off the king. He is no longer his enemy. He is his friend. And if his friend chooses to be his enemy, he has the choice. He can cut his head off right there. Right? That's why the head goes down. He's exposing his neck. He can take care of him right there. But Christ grabs, puts a sword on either side of his neck and says, I know my decision. I could kill you now, but I'm going to lift you up and put you in my service. It's an act of surrender. Do you understand that? Does that make sense? You have to go through that act of surrender before you get into the kingdom of God. Okay? How do, what's that look like? Sometimes it looks like a prayer. Sometimes it's like God help. Right? Which is like a prayer in itself too. It's an act of surrender. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Lord, we can't do this on our own. We know this. We know Satan is a powerful foe. We know that he's, his ways are attractive. And we need to know a better way. Lord, I have given my allegiance to you to serve you in a mighty way. I have changed my character to reflect you, and I continue to walk that path of change, to be more like you. It is an ongoing process. Lord, we praise you for taking us back even when we are not good soldiers. Lord, I pray that we would be able to come to you in humility, to surrender our lives, and to walk as Jesus walked and um, to reflect him in our life. Direct us this way and this path. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have questions about that, if you want to know what that is, I'll be up here. Craig's right there. Uh, Ken is there. We all, would all love to talk to you about um, what it means to, to find uh, Lord Jesus Christ. And, and the other Craig's back there too. I see him there. And PJ's over there yonder. So um, you're more than welcome to. Thank you. You guys are dismissed.